0: Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom.
1: Welcome, everybody, to our Tuesday night Torah class. Thank you all for coming. Um, Sometimes it's kind of useful for me to review every now and then what we're doing here. We're just going through the Torah. And uh, although they have weekly assignments, the Torah has been divided into 54 portions. And if you do a portion a week, more or less, you can get through the whole Torah in one year. And that's been done that way since Yeshua's time. Um, And I've done it that way for many years. We, as a democratic group, decided that uh, we would do it a little bit differently because when you do the standard portions every week, it goes pretty fast. And a lot of times you don't get the time you'd like to spend um, on specific individual chapters. And so we've just been going through the Torah and we keep track of where we are. And next week we just pick up where we left off. So we started, oh, we're, we're just a little bit slower. I think we're probably a couple of months late. Um, and we're now in Leviticus. And we've been in Leviticus for three or four, well, probably five or six weeks, actually. And we talked about Leviticus. Let's see, the way we work is we just read the Torah, port, or the passages, and we ask questions. We've got books that go with them if you want the books. But uh, we ask questions and then talk about what the answers are or what we think the answers are. Um, we discussed, Leviticus is an interesting book because it's, um, uh, it's right in the middle of the Torah. You've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. So it's right in the middle. And we discussed this uh, formation that um, is observed in a lot of uh, biblical scripture <clears throat> called uh, chiastic form. A chiastic form is named after the Greek letter chi which for us is essentially just an X, and you find chiastic forms all through the Bible. Uh, the first book of, first chapter of Genesis is done in a chiastic form, and the purpose, or at least the, the result of, a, of observing it and noticing it is there seems to be a central point. And one of the things that we discovered about the book of Leviticus was that the whole entire book of Leviticus is in a chiastic form. It starts at the top, and then comes down to a single point, and then it, uh, it, it broadens out at the, at the end. And it uh, wasn't us that discovered this. Actually, I've got this chart from the people at the Bible Project, at BibleProject.com. They've got some really great stuff to go look at there. <clears throat> but anyway, um, this, this is their, their outline of the book of Leviticus. And so they start at the top, and um, if you read the very first chapter of Leviticus, it talks about... Uh, Moses couldn't go into the Tent of Meeting. So Leviticus starts, all, starts out about uh, defining the different kinds of uh, offerings that are made. And the Hebrew word for offering is uh, just went away there for a second, korban. And korban is a Hebrew word that means to draw near. And so these offerings are ways of drawing near. Can anybody tell me what the five offerings are. John can. Yay, John. Wait, wait. we got to get you the microphone. Can you pray? Oh, thank you. I always... That's, that's a much better... I, he said, can we pray? So let me open in prayer. Actually, let me go back to the beginning, and I promise not to repeat what I've said, but let me pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for the evening. Thank you for this fine group of people that came out to look at your Torah. And I'd ask that you would just... Uh, be with us tonight as we study your Torah. Help us to, uh, to see what you have for us. I know you have something for each of us. Just help us to learn from each other and to learn from what, uh, what's written, that we might uh, learn to be a little more obedient, learn kind of how it is you'd expect us to behave, learn how important it is, and just uh, learn how much you love us. In Yahushua's name, amen. Thank you, John. Excuse me. I ought to do something so I remember that more often. But anyway, so someone was going to name the five offerings, and I thought it was John, but he I'll, pulled off. I'll name uh, them. Okay, good.
2: It's the uh, sin mm-hmm. offering it, and the guilt offering, mm-hmm. burnt offering, mm-hmm. grain offering, mm-hmm. and the fellowship offering.
1: Yeah, boy, you got them. That's right. That's right. the The sin offering is the one you have to do first um, to take care of your sin. Um, Yes?
2: The sin offering and
1: the guilt offering kind of go hand in hand, right? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Um, The difference between the guilt offering and the sin offering is that the sin offering essentially takes care of the offense against God. and So sometimes there are sin offerings and there are no guilt offerings because the the sin that you're um, trying to atone for is only a sin against God. The guilt offering is whenever you've sinned against God and others, if you will, and there's restitution involved. The guilt offering has restitution involved. Then the burnt offering is where the uh, entire animal that's sacrificed is burnt, and it's symbolic of your total commitment or recommitment to God. Uh, the uh, bread offering, if you grain offering, is. Um, the only one that's not an animal-based thing, and it's, it's a Thanksgiving kind of an offering. <clears throat> it's, most, it's most people think it's just thanking God for taking care of your sustenance, your bodily needs. And then the, the last one that we've talked about is the fellowship offering. Fellowship offering is uh, essentially, I call it a big party. It's you've taken care of your, uh, of your sin and you've recommitted yourself to God and the, um, you can now communicate with him. You now have a dinner. You have a a fellowship with him. (coughs) That's what that is. So that's good. Thank you. Anyway, so the first part of of Leviticus talks about the offerings. Then we, uh, they ordained the priests and we talked about how the priests were ordained and the process that went through there and all the different offerings. And I pointed out where just a couple weeks ago we were talking about the, it's the only place where in the book of Leviticus there's much action. The priest, of course, is Moses' brother Aaron, and he had four sons until um, Leviticus chapter eight, I guess it is, or 10. And, and <coughs> excuse me, two of his sons died. Can anybody want to, anybody care to kind of paraphrase in just a couple of sentences what happened to his two sons? okay, then I'll do it. You guys are not a very... Forthcoming. We'll work on this. We'll work on it. Nadab and Abihu, uh, just after they were ordained, thought it would be pretty interesting to go in and uh, uh, wave some incense in front of the altar, or in front of the uh, um, actually it would have been the well, it would have been the altar of incense inside the tabernacle. And uh, it was not at a prescribed time by God. It was not done by the right person, which was Aaron. And so they got, uh, they, thank you, they, they met an untimely death and they died um, in, in, front of the, in front of the altar there. And that's, um, like I say, it was pretty pretty big deal, pretty shocking. We had some fun discussions about that, but it was basically a, a valuable learning lesson for all of the nation of Israel that God has to be treated uh, with holiness. He has to be treated you, you can't come before Him unless you come before Him in a prescribed way. Anyway, then last week we started talking about um, what this, you have to be pure. Ritual purity, ceremonially clean before you can come before God. And we're going to spend some more time on that tonight. One of the things we talked about being ritually clean was the uh, eating proper foods. And so that's where we left off last time was in eating... Eating proper foods, and the, the Genesis. I'm sorry. Let me go on. I was talking about the outline. Um, so we're going to work on that tonight. But then that's the first half of the X. The you know the the broadening or narrowing down till we get to the the center of the book of Leviticus. The center of the book of Leviticus is chapter sixteen and seventeen, and it's uh, discussing the Day of Atonement. Um, so. The Day of Atonement could be argued, it could be argued that the Day of Atonement is the most important part of the book of Leviticus. And after we get through with the Day of Atonement, then the the subjects kind of broaden back out and they kind of mirror each other. So uh, after we talk about the Day of Atonement, then we're going to talk about moral purity. Over here, we've been talking about ritual purity. We're going to talk about moral purity and then qualifications for the priests. Over here, we ordain the priests and let them start their work. Uh, When we end, we'll be talking about the qualifications for the priests. And finally, um, uh, we'll talk about the feasts that were held and the fact that Moses can now go into the tent. Actually, Aaron goes into the tent. But anyway, we'll get there. So I realize that was a long kind of a digression, but I wanted to do it anyway. So we're in um, Leviticus chapter 11. And we did about half of Leviticus chapter 11. If you go there, the first, um, well, as I'm going to say, first one, two, and three basically say, well, actually, what did you say, John? We did the birds, we didn't do the critters. Yeah, well, we did, no, we did the, uh, we did the first thing we did was the land animals. What are the rules for clean land animals? You have to have a cloven hoof and they have to chew the cud. That's ruminate. A ruminant is an animal that chews the cud, and we talked about that. They, they have more than one stomach, and they're usually, uh, those, they, they live on a completely vegetarian kind of diet, and so they, they chew grass, in the case of cows, for example, or sheep, they chew grass, goes into one stomach, and sits there and kind of gets pre-processed, and then they kind of upchuck a little bit into their mouth, and that's the cud, they chew that, and they swallow it, and it goes into a different stomach. And that's the stomach that does more of the processing. So that's what a ruminant does. Um, So the two things it has to be to be a clean animal, it has to chew the cud and have a split hoof. Okay? And then it went through and talked about, so what animals are, I mean, if we were really agrarian, we'd know this, but I didn't know this. I didn't know that, for example, um, I guess it's a pig. A pig has a split hoof, but it doesn't ruminate, I think. And a camel, for example, ruminates, but it doesn't have a split hoof. So the, the ones that really qualify, of course, the main ones are bovines, cows, oxen, and then sheep and goats. But someone pointed out that deer, and antelope, and elk, and those kind of animals have split hooves and also ruminate. So there are more than one kind of clean land animal, but a lot of them don't. The main one being the pig. So then we went into fish. What's the rules about fish? <coughs> have to have scales, they have to have fins. If a, if a water-dwelling animal has scales and fins, it's clean. And then we talked about all the ones that aren't clean. Like someone was bemoaning the fact that catfish aren't clean. The reason catfish aren't clean is because they don't have scales. Um, and none of the good stuff like lobster and shrimp and all that, they're not even fish, really. They're, they're actually the vacuum cleaners of the sea, you know. Uh, So they're not, technically, they're not food either. And then we got into the birds of the air, the the animals of the air, whatever, and that puts us over in like verse uh, 13. This is, we kind of quit there. We read about, uh, I'll read this and then we'll go on, because I know we talked about this, but let's see if we can remember what we said. Uh, Starting in verse 13 says, these are the birds you are to detest and not eat because they are detestable. The eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, any kind of black kite, any kind of raven, the horned owl, the screech owl, the gull, and any kind of hawk, the little owl, the cormorant, the great owl, the white owl, the desert owl, the osprey, the stork, any kind of heroine, the hoopoe, and the bat. That's my favorite one, the bat, right? The bat's not even a bird, but we that's neither here nor there. So... I think we ended last week when we asked, so what do those animals all those birds all have in common pretty much? Well, they're scavengers or they're birds of prey. They're raptors, especially owls. You know, owls that that's owls are known for that. They fly through the forest silently at night and swoop down and eat mice, for example. Uh but the other ones too, most of the sea animals or sea birds were raptors. And and uh Scavengers is another example. That's the vultures. All those are the... So, the opposite of that, if they're not uh, scavengers or raptors, they're probably uh, grain eaters, or vegetable eaters, right? So what are some of the birds that are vegetable eaters? Well, ducks, chickens, turkeys, the things that you think of, right? Uh, dove, I think, is an example of that. Anyway, That's the kind of, that rule is not stated, the rule about raptors or meat eaters, but it's kind of, I think, inferred. Don't know. Yes?
2: How about an ostrich? You read that right after Raven, what was the bird you read?
1: That's another thing. A lot of these names get translated differently. Because this one says ostrich. Mine says horned owl.
2: Horned owl?
1: Owl. Wow. An ostrich, I don't, an ostrich shouldn't, let's see. I don't know what ostrich eat. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I, I don't know about that.
2: An ostrich is like an emu.
1: Yes, it is. I've actually had, believe it or not, I'm pure confession here. I've had true confession. I, I've had ostrich, but that was before I started walking this way and I never even questioned it, you know? Yeah. But uh, it's pretty good for what's worth. We ought to find that out. I'd like to know that. So somebody wants to Google, is ostrich clean, we'll find out. Anyway, so we'll move along. I think we didn't, uh, we hadn't gotten to verse 20. So, if somebody would like to read, um, I'll make it real short. Well, heck, I'll just read it. (laughs) Verse 20, I'm going to read just two or three verses here. All flying insects that walk on all fours are detestable to you. There are, however, some winged creatures that walk on all fours that you may eat. Those that have jointed legs for hopping on the ground. Of these, you may eat any kind of locust, katydid, cricket, or grasshopper. But all other winged creatures that have four legs, you are to detest. Okay, so one of the ones that that people, I shouldn't say people, some people eat. Ants are ants clean? No, ants aren't clean. Uh, yes, ostrich unclean? Okay, she googled oh. it. Ostrich unclean. I, okay, fine. <coughs> um, but grasshoppers and other things. Ants were unclean. I, I, it would be my okay. estimation that ants were unclean because the rule was those that had back legs that could be used for hopping. And ants don't. What about chocolate-covered ants? <laughs> <coughs> that may make a difference. I could be wrong about that. Yeah.
3: So then, the it brings some clarity. This is just about eating, then, right? This isn't like emu oil or. No, no, no. Yeah, it's it's pearls. it's food. So the idea that even pearls, being from the unclean, I've always. Wondered, but now it's like, yeah, well, the, is it clicking
1: that it's unless, just food, right? It's unless not, you eat the pearl or something. Right. Yeah, no, no it's, it's, this is food. This is food. But we'll go on and talk about some other things about it here in a minute. Um, well, I'm going to read a few more and then I'll quit because I don't want to hog all the time. Starting in verse 24, you will make yourselves unclean by these. Whoever touches their carcasses will be unclean till evening. Whoever picks up one of their carcasses must wash his clothes, and he will be unclean till evening. Every animal that has a split hoof, not completely divided, and that does not chew the cud is unclean for you. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them will be unclean. Of all the animals that walk on all fours, those that walk on their paws are unclean for you. Whoever touches their carcasses will be unclean till evening." Anyone who picks up their carcasses must wash his clothes, and he will be unclean till evening. They are unclean for you. Now, this thing about uncleanness, it's not like, it's not sin, right? Um, it's, it's a state of being ritually unclean, ceremonially unclean. Um, and a lot of times you come in contact with carcasses through no, no fault of your own, right? And it's not like a... Uh, a crime punishable by death or anything like that. It's simply a matter of being unclean. You can't go before God in an unclean state. But to get yourself clean, is there's not a lot to it. You just wash your clothes, take a bath or whatever, and wait until evening. So I think it's important, this whole clean, unclean thing, is it's really important to God, but it's not like, uh, well, it, if it's, see, I don't know how to put this, I think you go, it's a mistake to think it's sinful if you accidentally come in contact with a uh, an animal body, the dead body of an animal or something, carcass. John, go ahead.
4: Uh, we should also make a distinction that living Messiah, we are concerned with biblically clean or unclean. Yes. Not necessarily kosher.
1: Yes. Yes. That's a very good point. Because they add to that… What, as a matter of fact… Pat, because of her looking up on Google and finding out that ostrich is unclean, that's a good example of that. We can't tell from Scripture that ostrich is unclean. So the uh, Jewish sages, if you will, have determined that it is. And I'm sure they've got reasons. Um, but, and that's okay. Uh, they've had to do that. But I guess my, you're, you're exactly right. What we decide is unclean is what it says in Scripture.
5: We discussed last time that pigs were not for food, but they were a created animal for a purpose. Yep. So if you are going to use it for the kind of um, growing that John is telling us so much about, Mm -hmm. pigs are very helpful. Yep so i see in here and in other portions too that it says not to touch a dead one it's the dead one so if you had a herd of or whatever they call them of pigs to mm-hmm. um, eat the weeds in your field or something yep. and you would probably have to help nurture newborn babies yep. and so forth it's all right to touch yeah. them yep if they're alive. If they're alive,
1: yeah. And as a matter of fact, you kind of made a, a, a little thing fall into place for me. We know, for example, that horses and donkeys are not clean for food, right? They're, they're not food. But horses and donkeys and camels are very useful animals around the farm, for example. So uh, it doesn't say you can't have one. It says you can't eat one. And if it's, uh, oh, beg your pardon? No, no. it says you can't eat one, and if it's dead, when you touch it, you know, you should, you should try not to, and if you do, you're unclean until evening.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes?
2: Well, I was wondering, if you had an animal who died on your farm, uh, you're almost like, in order to dispose of the body, forced yes. to touch the animal, yes. and you make yourself unclean. Yes, so.
1: that, that's my point exactly, and I guess it's not like... Um, on the one hand, it's, oh, no, 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 I don't want to be unclean. But on the other hand, it's not great, I get to go be unclean. It's the kind of a thing, you should avoid it when you can. And we came into a great example of that when Nadab and I, Bahu, got zapped in front of the altar, right? They were dead, dead bodies sitting in their clothes, if you will, laying there dead in their clothes. And who ended up carrying them out? Not Aaron or his sons, right? Not the dad or the brothers, but some third cousins down the road because if Aaron and his sons had done that, they would have been unclean. And they can't afford to be unclean because of their unique job and calling. But as a farmer, if you're a farmer and you happen to, like you say, your, your uh, horse dies and you have to go get rid of the thing, um, what that says is, is that if you had intended to go um, offer a sacrifice that day, You'll have to wait till the next day. That—that's my interpretation, but I think that makes sense. Does anybody else have any thoughts on that? Oh, Joe does.
6: Okay. What about turkey?
1: What about turkey?
6: That would be the same as chicken. I would. Yep.
1: Yep. Yep.
6: Okay. Now, were these animals primary in the Middle East? Because you go to other countries like Australia, kangaroos, so on and so forth. I was just wondering. if it's uh, applies, I'm sure it applies to other countries. What God wants to eat, us to eat and what yep, He doesn't want.
1: Yeah, I think so. Certainly, the rules that are mentioned, the the uh, split hooves and the ruminants, those have to be those. Those have to occur, uh, and then the scales and the fins, those have to occur. Um, but as far as the other stuff, I guess you have a you have a certain degree of flexibility unless it specifically says no.
5: Well, I had questioned a long time ago, whether as a caregiver that I should fry bacon or make ham sandwiches for my clients. Uh huh. And I finally came to the conclusion that I can make it for them and not eat it, but I should not even touch it. It's dead.
1: Yeah. Well, that's so true.
5: I could make, put gloves on or yeah. try to steer them to a different meal. That, that, <laughs> Sometimes yeah. that works, but yeah. not always.
1: Yeah. Like I say, it, on the one hand, Obviously, we need to be very serious about God's laws and, and his rules. But it's really hard for me personally to get my mind wrapped around this concept of ritually clean or ritually uh, ceremonially clean uh, and, and, and impure. But man, it's important because uh, you know one of the things I found out is if it's important, it says it many times. And all through the Bible, it says, you know, the jobs of the priests are to teach the people the difference between clean and unclean, between holy and common. Joe,
6: I think one, uh, one reason why God gave uh, these rules and these do's and don'ts is the uh, preservation of the Jewish people Mm-hmm. That uh, to keep the disease and all the other stuff away from them.
1: Yep, I think at the time that they were given, obviously their uh, the the level of understanding of disease was obviously not what it is today. But we can see that there are advantages to to eating this way, without a doubt. But another reason, another good reason for this, I think, is that the uh, part of the purpose here was to set the Israelites apart, you know, to show that they're different. One of the ways they're different is because they don't eat pork. That's one of the ways they're different, you know. And so if you get someone said, you know, do you want a piece of bacon? No. Why not? Well, I don't eat bacon. Why not? Well, you know, it's against my religion or whatever. The point is, is God wants them. He wanted the Israelites to be separated.
6: Wasn't there a... uh in the New Testament, wasn't there a problem with the disciples eating uh meat from uh sacrificial animals mm-hmm. and uh but were they all clean meat or were they unclean i I would assume that they were clean because uh they were uh from uh God set the standards for uh certain animals that
1: to be sacrificed well. Um, I think what you're referring to is what the specific issue was in that case, eating an animal that had been sacrificed to some other god, to an alien god. And that's, you're not supposed to do that. But I think there's a place in the New Testament where Paul says um, you, you shouldn't, See, I'll paraphrase it, and I may be wrong, you shouldn't risk offending a host by asking, whether or not the animal had been sacrificed to a foreign god. Um, I, th- I think that's kind of what the, what the gist of that whole thing was. But it was the sacrifice to a foreign god that was most important there. Mike?
2: Wasn't that one of the stipulations in Acts 15, eating food sacrificed yep. to an idol?
1: Yep. Yep. I think it's what do they call it? Is it one of those Noahide laws or something? I might be wrong about that. But anyway.
2: I'm talking about the... Uh, When they got together to uh, determine for new Gentile believers.
1: Yeah, but that's one of them. Fornication, eating blood or eating animal sacrifice to idols. Yep, yep, yep. So you're right. You're exactly right. Okay, so I've exposed all my ignorance on that. Let's go on. Um, We're in verse 29. So... Let's read, would someone read from verse 29 to the end of chapter 11? Okay, we got someone up here in the front. Just a second, let me get you the microphone because we want everyone to hear. Thank you.
7: Of the animals that move about on the ground, these are unclean for you. The weasel, the rat, any kind of great lizard, the gecko, the monitored lizard, the wall lizard, the skink, the chameleon, of all those that move along the ground, these are unclean for you. Whoever touches them when they are dead will be unclean till evening. When one of them dies and falls on something, that article, whatever its use, will be unclean, whether it is made of wood, cloth, hide, or sackcloth. Put it in water. It will be unclean till evening, and then it will be clean. If one of them falls into a clay pot, everything in it will be unclean. And you must break the pot. Any food that could be eaten but has water on it from such a pot is unclean. And any liquid that could be drunk from it is unclean. Anything that one of their carcasses falls on becomes unclean. An oven or cooking pot must be broken up. They are unclean and you are to regard them as unclean. A spring, however, or a cistern for collecting water remains clean. But anyone who touches one of these carcasses is unclean. If a carcass falls on any seeds that are to be planted, they remain unclean. I mean, they remain clean. Excuse me. That's OK. But if water has been put on the seed and a carcass falls on it, it is unclean for you. If an animal that you are allowed to eat dies, anyone who touches the carcass will be unclean till evening. Anyone who eats some of the carcass must wash his clothes. He will be unclean till evening. Anyone who picks up the carcass must wash his clothes, and he will be unclean until evening. Every creature that moves about on the ground is detestable. It is not to be eaten. You are not to eat any creature that moves about on the ground. Whether it moves on its belly, or walks on all fours, or on many feet, it is detestable. Do not defile yourselves by any of these creatures. Do not make yourselves unclean by means of them, or be made unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, and be holy, because I am holy." Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves about on the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy, because I am holy. These are the regulations concerning animals, birds, every living thing that moves in the water, and every creature that moves about on the ground. You must distinguish between the unclean and the clean, between living creatures that may be eaten and those that
1: may not be eaten. That's pretty clear, isn't it? <laughs> that first set of uh, things that you read from verse 29 down to 38, um, as you were reading that, I got to thinking all of that uh, makes a lot of sense from what we know today as as germs and stuff. You know, if um, if you've got some dead carcass around, if it's not diseased, it could very well become so pretty quickly. And so if it falls in a cooking pot or something like that, then um, if, if it's not said here, but we've read before, if the pot is clay, it's going to be porous. And some of that stuff can get in the crevices and you can never get it out. So that's why you break them. But if it's uh, made out of metal or porcelain or something, then you can wash it. So washing it's okay. Um, but then the seeds, you know, if the seeds are dry and a carcass falls on it, well, the seeds are okay. But if the seeds are wet, the number one that inhibits the transfer of whatever microorganisms might be growing. It also means the seeds might be in the position of, of sprouting or something and you'd have them coming in contact with something that could be diseased. So all of this makes a lot of sense from that standpoint, although none of it was said that these, it was never said these are the reasons you should do it. But I thought that was kind of interesting. Any other thoughts about this?
5: Eleven thirteen tells that the ostrich is unclean, and that's in the de- um, the, the Strong's okay. dictionary is proof. Okay. So it isn't just
1: a Hebrew. It name. is okay. I stand corrected. Jerry, uh, verse thirty six: If it falls in a spring or cistern, yeah. Yep. Now that, that, that whole concept bothers me. Oh, because, me too. Me too. Because, um, if you, ha- again, you, you imagine some, um, wormy, dead carcass that falls into your cistern, well, that's bad news. Uh, I read a little write-up on that, and it basically said, from, again, from a hygiene standpoint, you'd like to, you'd like to declare that whole thing as unclean, off-limits, if you will. But they said uh, in, the, in the, you know, the, the state of life as it was back then, man, if you had to get rid of a, a lot of times, whole communities only had one cistern, you know, and that's what they got their water out of. And um, if you said, okay, the water's bad, I don't know what you're going to do, but you're not drinking that stuff. A lot of, you know, it would be a worse disaster. So the, the point of this little thing that I read said that this might be just a case of, uh, you know, one bad thing versus another bad thing. Um, if you know what I mean no I, I agree with you, but well, cisterns are not only open but the water stands still, so they're 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 ripe for contamination anyway, and dropping some dead carcass and it's bound to do that so but I, I like I said, that's what it said that was their opinion i I kind of thought it was all right any other thoughts about this the I like the the ending it said um, Oh, I skipped the part about the the stuff on the ground. You had to kind of catch it because it says walks on the ground or moves on the ground. I didn't say walks, it said moves. Uh, and, and at first I thought, are we talking about the you know the sheep and the cows again? And no, they're talking about reptiles is what they're talking about. They're talking about, you know, alligators and snakes and lizards and stuff. And none of those it would appear are clean. And frogs, yeah. But I was just going to say from verse uh, 43, it says, Do not defile yourselves by any of these creatures. Do not make yourselves unclean by means of them or be made unclean by them. I am Yahweh your God. Consecrate yourselves. Consecrate means set apart. Set apart yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature brought up that brought you... See." that moves on the ground, I am Yahweh who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God, therefore be holy because I am holy. These are the regulations concerning animal, birds, every living thing that moves in the water and every creature that moves about on the ground, you must distinguish between the unclean and the clean and between living creatures that may be eaten and those that may not. So therein lies that. I found an interesting passage and since we're not never in a big hurry, I'd like to take you there for just a minute. It's in Amos chapter 5. I don't know. It's kind of applicable, kind of not, but I wanted to do it anyway because I liked it. I'm yeah. having Okay, Amos chapter five. Now, Amos in this particular section, Amos was a prophet to the northern kingdom. Okay, so this is the after Solomon died and the kingdom split into two. This was what would be known as Israel, the the southern kingdom. The southern, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin formed Judah, and this is the what's left of them. It's this Israel. And in verse 5, God is basically, through Amos, giving a prophecy to these guys in the northern kingdom. And let's see, let's start in verse 21. Oh, no, verse, yeah, verse 21 says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings forty years in the deserts, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king the pedestal of your idols, and the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says Yahweh, whose name is God Almighty. It's Verse 26, shrine of your king, pedestal of your idols, and star of your God, all three of those refer to the worship of foreign idols, foreign gods. And so, basically, I just thought it was interesting because God's Man, he's really nailing them. He says, you can do all this stuff. You can follow every letter of Leviticus if you want, and if you do these other things, it doesn't count. I don't like them. You know, I'm, they, they mean nothing. So I just thought that was interesting. Helps put this in perspective to me. Joe.
6: Yeah, as was just reading the Scriptures uh, in uh, verse 44, For I am the Lord your God. Uh, ye shall sanctify yourself and you shall be holy, for I am holy, neither shall you defile yourself. So the contrast between the Amsa is uh, be holy and sanctify yourself and be holy. He he repeats that. Yeah. Because by eating all these things, you would be defiled. Mm -hmm. So if you're defiled logically, you would be unclean Mm -hmm. and you would not be holy. Yep. And then uh, further down in the context, he says, For I am the Lord that bringeth you out of the land of Egypt. Mm-hmm. He's, he's talking about, uh, I don't know, he's talking about present tense or past tense. I would assume that it's past tense. It's, well, reminding, it's reminding them that he's the one that brought them out of Egypt. And therefore, again, he repeats Uh, What he wants them to do,
1: be holy as I am holy. Yep, yep. Uh, Like I say, anything that's important, he says more than once. He walked right by you, John. I don't know what to think about that. Okay, all right.
0: I was just going to point out, so if the Lord says that he can't even walk in the midst of your camp if you don't turn over your excrement… Yep. How much more these things, That it's not so much that they're, you know, the church likes to say, look, he, he he despises their the offerings. The offerings are gone. They're not supposed to be done. But that's not the point. The point is they weren't doing it correctly. They weren't, I mean, because this is obviously the northern kingdom that you're talking about yep, here. Yep. They weren't even doing it at the right time of the year. Yeah. They weren't doing it at the right place. Yep they they might have had the right animal yeah. but they weren't doing anything else correctly
1: well and and they were worshiping other gods as well correct yeah so he wasn't wasn't happy with that
4: <laughs> i was interested in the verse 25 mm-hmm. did you did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings those forty years in the desert o house of Israel uh-huh I would almost argue that they didn't because they didn't have the authority to because they were in jail for whatever most of that, that time. Those 40 years? Yeah, I don't think they did circumcisions. I don't think they did anything.
1: Well, you could be right. You could yeah, be but right. But
4: he asked in a question like, "Did you?" I'm supposed to know.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. It is interesting. I'm not sure what to think about that. Hmm. But they sure sure had gotten off track since then. Yeah. Go ahead.
3: So when Yusha said, uh, "It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but that which comes out." Um, would that just be? It's it obvious that he's magnifying the law, like it says he would do. You know that it's it's much more than just what goes in, but he's saying it's not defiling. So would that mean that because of what he's done, now what's more important is what's? obviously what proceeds out of us, right? What's in our heart, the treasure of our heart needs to be his word. Mm-hmm. You know, th- that's more important and so mm-hmm. I know that that's part of the argument like you know, what they're saying yet, you know, how do we integrate that portion from, from that scripture?
1: Well, um, the way I integrate it is that number one, that statement in and of itself says I'm more concerned about what's in your heart than what you eat. But that doesn't say that we should totally ignore that, because we know he told us how he feels about this. He told us that this is what we're supposed to do because he's holy, and he wants us to be holy. He wants us to be clean. Um, but you know, the way I look at it is what Yeshua was basically saying, you know you you can sit there and you know split fine hairs deciding what's, what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat, and then if you go off and you know. Treat everybody poorly, and and you know are, are just a horrible person. Your attitude is wrong. Then all that didn't do you any good. Is kind of the way I look at that.
6: Yeah, it's uh, where uh, Gentiles mostly talk about doctrine. Uh, the Jews talks about how a life is to be lived. Absolutely. And so anyway, uh, because God has. Specifically, now to to me, I may not understand it, but what he is asking is not too hard of a thing, you no. know. And uh, so, uh, the attitude of the heart, what I think is uh, in question here, whether they want to please themselves or please the God who brought them out of Egypt.
1: Here, 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 here. The way I look at it, and you guys forgive me a little bit. This is a little bit perhaps liberal. Is that whether or not you get it exactly right is not near as important as the fact that you want to do it and you're trying your best. You know? And we've been through a lot of that. It's a lot of, a lot of excuses for people not doing Passover. Well, I don't know how to do it. You know? Well, if you, if you take the trouble to read about it, find out what he wants, find out why it's there, and do your best, he'd be much happier with that than if you actually, you know, put an egg on the Seder plate or something. You know, it's those those little things just aren't that big a deal. It's the it's the hard attitude. Yeah. Who else?
2: Mike. I actually uh, I read this on that uh, Hebrew for Christians website. This kind of interesting. You take it for what it's worth. But this verse 42. Uh huh. Whatever crawls on its stomach and whatever goes on all fours, uh, they consider that. I assume the the sages, whoever they are that this, they call this the belly of the Torah.
1: The belly of the
2: Because belly. it's like, the, this is the very center in a physical sense. Of the Torah? Like half, so we're like halfway through yeah. reading the Torah. It, it's
1: funny. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Actually, I have that note down in chapter 13. 13? But, oh. but, but it could be there. I mean, the thing is... I thought is, it was
2: 1142. But no,
1: you could be right. I don't know. I, like I say, I'm not going to go... Because up.
2: of the word stomach. That's...
1: Okay. That's, that's, that's fine, and, and it also depends on whether you're counting words or how your yeah. word count is going. But right in this place, right near here, is the Torah. But it's middle very close Torah. to the very yes, physical that's center. right. It's very close to the middle of the Torah. That's interesting. Okay, want to move on. That's the end of Terra of Portion, Parashah 26. And so now we're moving to a different one. If we were doing this, uh, you know, on the schedule, we move to Parashah 27, which is called Tazriah. Tazria is Hebrew. It means um, she conceives. So, this, by the way, just for what it's worth, we're coming to some of the more difficult portions. If you ask me, but once we get to this Day of Atonement thing, we'll be in good shape. <laughs> so, Chapter 12. Chapter 12 is not very long. Would somebody like to read Chapter 12? I guess if I'll you, read it. It, okay, good. I was going to say, if there's anything that we are not talking about, you want to talk about? Raise your hand.
2: It's a short one?
1: It's a short one, yeah.
2: And Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, When a woman has conceived and has given birth to a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her monthly separation she is unclean. And on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin is circumcised, and she remains in the blood of her cleansing thirty-three days. She does not touch whatever is set apart, she does not come into the set-apart place until the days of her cleansing are completed. But if she gives birth to a female child, then she shall be unclean for two weeks, as in her monthly separation, and she remains in the blood of her cleansing for sixty-six days. And when the days of her cleansing are completed for a son or for a daughter, she brings to the priest a lamb a year old as an ascending offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering, to the door of the tent of appointment. And he shall bring it before Yahweh and make atonement for her, and she, sh- she shall be cleansed from the flow of her blood. This is the Torah for her who has given birth to a male or a female. And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a, an ascending offering and the other as a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean.
1: Okay. So this is, a, <laughs> this is always a difficult one. Um, so what's the rule here? It, it matters whether the woman gave birth to a boy or a girl. And if it's a boy, what's the, what's the process that needs to be followed? She's uh, unclean for seven days. And then they present the boy on the eighth day to be circumcised, but then she's unclean as if she were in her um, monthly period for another 33 days. So the grand total, 33 and 7, is 40. So for 40 days, she's unclean. Now this, I think this gives rise to the, the point here, it's not, it's, like, it's not sin we're talking about, it's, it's blood here. The only thing that makes her unclean is the fact that she's uh, she's bleeding. And boy, you know, we'll find out as we get farther into this. God's got this thing about not coming before Him if you're oozing bodily fluids, period. And so that's why she's unclean. Not because of anything she did, but because of the, the, the state she's in. Yeah.
2: What is the significance you think because a, she's unclean twice as long for a female as a now, male.
1: Boy, I'd be interested in anybody's ideas on that one. The, old, the, the only thing I can say off the top of my head is that in this society, they did value males more than females, but I don't know what that's got to do with anything.
0: I can tell you only what I've read the sages say, mm-hmm. and it is because the woman brings forth life.
1: Okay, that that's all right. I can't. I don't so anything really any better. Person, right?
6: <laughs> in chapter eleven, we're dealing with what we should eat and what we should not eat, and then in chapter twelve is another aspect of our phys, uh, of the physical body. Yep. Where uh, God again is setting up uh, his health-related topics, uh, so the. Uh, there again, going back to uh verse he uh he says, Be holy as I am holy, and I believe you're right, where you say that God does not want anything come before him uh that oozes blood or anything like that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well he it's that that's probably a, a graphic and imprecise way to put that. He wants you to be as perfect as you can be physically when you come before him. That that's really what it boils down to. Yes.
4: I don't know what your translation, here, but the King James in the second verse, it goes out a way to say it isn't just born a man-child, it's that if a woman hath conceived seed and a man-child and born a man-child.
1: Well, that's interesting.
4: Is that what yours says? Does it have no, no, it says, uh,
1: and, and you're talking about verse 2?
4: Verse, yeah.
1: Say to the Israelites, a woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son. So that would be...
4: Yeah, the word Zara is seed. And Zara is seed. Yep. It's in there, but yours didn't say that?
1: No, mine says becomes pregnant. Right. But, you know, I have the nearly inspired version, so... Well,
4: it sounds like she's saying that she conceived... Well, maybe I'm reading into this too much. I don't know. That's, that's If okay. a woman have conceived seed, then she's... I don't know. Is it talking about the seed that got her pregnant or the seed that affect fact that it's a male child has
1: seed? I hear you. I, uh, that
4: uh, I mean, it goes. It doesn't just say a male child. That's
1: well, it says. Conceives, yeah, and and it doesn't say that about the girl. Mike, Michael's got one.
2: Thinking about the difference between the uh, thirty-three days for the male and double that for the female. Yep, uh, that was given birth to my best idea about that would be that you're you're dealing with the um the blood of two females and that doubles the uh the math on that one
1: okay Uh, that's kind of along the lines of what mark was saying i think but yeah yeah
5: i i have a note here in the bible that says interestingly enough Scientific evidence shows that this is exactly the time it takes for a newborn's immune system to build. Girls take double the time than boys
1: do. Well, I'll be. That's interesting. Well, that's, uh, I remember hearing that same thing in terms of the eighth day for circumcision. That's supposed to be the ideal time to do that. Interesting. Okay.
6: Also, it's not for the Lord only, but it's also for the woman, for her to, uh, you know, uh, get well again. Mm -hmm. So it's for her benefit, uh, not only for the Lord's benefit, but it's also for her benefit.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So what what does she do after this this allotted time, whether it be a boy or a girl? Verse 6. When the days of her purification for a son or a daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting, a year old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer them before Yahweh to make atonement for her. And then she shall be ceremonially clean for the flow of blood. Now this is a a bigger deal than just wash and wait till evening. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, But, Remember what those two, uh, those two offerings are for? A year-old lamb. Now that's a, that's a reasonably uh, I don't want to say pricey, but that's, that's got a, a fair amount of value to it, OK? So, and what's the, the lamb used for? A burnt offering, burnt offering. Burnt offering. And burnt offering is uh, the one that um, is like recommitting yourself to God. It's the one that represents uh, your your total commitment to Him. Um, and it could be, uh, this is just my thought, but it could be that this is uh, uh, something to do with the, the fact that you've been blessed with having a child. You know? Um, and you want to, uh, it's not a thank offering because it says it's not. But maybe you just want to recommit yourself, maybe your child also. I don't know. I'm just making this up. But... And then what's the, uh, what's the other offering and what's its purpose? The pigeon or a dove. And the pigeon or the dove, is the, that's the, the offering for the, the lowest, you know, the poor people. And so it's, it's not a, a pricey kind of a thing. And it's a sin offering. And it's not necessarily because the fact that she was bleeding is sinful. It's just that any time you come to the Lord, you need to... Take care of whatever sin might be hanging around on you. That's my opinion. Any thoughts about that? It even goes on then in verse um, 7 to say, these are the regulations for a woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. If she cannot afford a lamb, she's to bring two doves, and one will be used for the burnt offering and the other for the sin offering. So, in other words, there's no reason that this can't be done.
4: Yes? Can I read in that New Testament thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Luke 2, 21 to 24. Great. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus in all the capital letters. <laughs> That's what it says in the King James. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So there's a good Argument for pro-life, I guess, when yeah. that when that happens. Yes. Yeah. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him into Jerusalem to present him to Adonai, to the Lord. 23. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle drubs, or two young pigeons. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. It doesn't mention the... The lamb. The lamb, but... That's true. Mark has oh, it.
1: is interesting.
0: So I have a, uh, a uh, Hebrew commentary, and so it says that... Uh, uh, the prolong the prolongation of the period in connection with the birth of a girl was also founded upon the notion which was very common in antiquity, that the bleeding and watery discharge continued longer after the birth of a girl than that after the boy. Ah So if that's the case, it would make sense why God's giving a little bit longer time to yeah. make sure that um, that period is take that period of time is taken care of. Yeah. For, the, for the girl it, or, and, and the boy.
1: The way that was stated, it wasn't that that's fact. It's that they believed that that was a fact. Right? Okay. That, that makes sense, really. There's a lot of things they believe. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, John.
4: So I, I, I noticed it didn't say the Lamb, but she's bringing Messiah. Messiah is the Lamb of God.
1: Well, that's a good point. Now, mm. that one certainly fits. The other thing I was thinking about is there's a, uh, there's a thing called... Pid, let's see, what is it? Pid, pigeon, or something. It's got to do with. There's a special offering for the firstborn male, and we'll talk about it because it's coming up here, not tonight, but we'll talk about that. And maybe, maybe that's got something to do with it. But we'll find out. So I'm glad you read that, Mike.
2: Uh, I would think uh, most of us here would agree that life starts at conception. Yes. But when I uh, was working with uh, Korean people, and I found out in, uh, I assume most Asian cultures, and maybe Joni knows about this too, that they actually consider when a person is born, they're one year old at their birth. So, hmm. because they have this idea that life starts at conception, so you spend roughly a little bit less, but you know. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's, that's, that's interesting. I like that. Yeah, that's interesting also, that that's coming back in the forefront, isn't it?
2: Maybe it's just a Korean thing, I don't
3: know. Yeah, I don't have any idea, but um, I was just curious, since life um, is in the blood and blood is at like, I think, somewhere around day 23 or something, um, does anyone have any input on that?
2: Well.
1: I didn't know that thing about day 23, but I of could believe it. She said, um, uh, "The life is in the blood, and the the baby doesn't have blood until like 23 days after conception, somewhere around of that." Yeah. No, I I don't have. I, I think I think life begins at conception. Period. That's my viewpoint on it. But.
3: When it occurred to me, this was like I don't know, maybe ten years ago or more. Um, it makes you wonder, though. He is so gracious, and there are abortifacents. Like, um, if there was a, a situation like rape, you know, mm-hmm. there's natural things yeah. that that do that too. And so it seemed, you know, he is gracious, and he that would uh, uh, for that type of situation, it would seem that that would therefore be an opportunity that wouldn't be taking a life. If indeed, which his word says, that the life is in the blood.
1: Well, yeah, but uh, that, that's okay other than the fact that if it were done by the, you know, with the, the will, under the will of the person and not God, then you'd have to argue, well, are you trying to play God or not? On the other hand, 23 days, you probably wouldn't even know you're pregnant. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know, perhaps. Okay, let's go on. We're going to have, it's my second to the least favorite chapter in Leviticus. And I'll get someone to read the big part of it so I don't have to. That's a negative thing. I shouldn't be so negative. Well, we might as well break it up into sections. First 11 verses. Would someone like to read the first 11 verses of chapter 13? Ready? Yes, I'm ready.
4: And Jehovah spoke unto Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man shall have in the skin of his flesh, a rising, a scab, or a bright spot, and it be in the skin of his flesh like the plague of leprosy, then he shall be brought unto Aaron the priest or unto one of his sons the priest. And the priest shall look at the plague in the skin of the flesh, and when the hair, is, the hair in the plague is turned white and the plague in sight be deeper than the skin of his flesh, is a plague of leprosy. And the priest shall look on him and pronounce him unclean. Verse four: If the bright spot be a be white in the skin of his flesh, and in sight, and in sight be not deeper than the skin, and the hair thereof be not turned white, then the priest shall shut him up that hath the plague seven days. And the priest shall look on him the seventh day, and behold, if the plague in his sight be at a stay and the plague spread not in the skin then the priest shall shut him up seven days more and the priest shall look on him again the seventh day and behold if the plague be somewhat dark and the plague spread not in the skin the priest shall pronounce him clean it is but a scab and he shall wash his clothes and be clean verse seven but if the scab spread much abroad in the skin after that he hath been seen of the priest for his cleansing he shall be seen of the priest again and if the priests see that behold the scab spreadeth in the skin then the priest shall pronounce him unclean it is leprosy verse nine when the plague of leprosy is in a man then he shall be brought unto the priest and the priest shall see him and behold if the rising be white in the skin, and it have turned the hair white, and there be quick raw flesh in the rising. It is a, an old leprosy in the skin of the flesh, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean, and shall not shut him up, for he is unclean.
1: Okay, that's, that's enough for a while. We ought to deal with this just a little bit right now. Um, first of all, there's this issue with the word leprosy, right? Um, back in these times, any skin disease was called leprosy because they really didn't know the difference between different skin diseases and probably, I don't know this, but probably a lot of them were leprosy. Um, but in modern times, leprosy has become, it's known as a disease called Hansen's disease and you probably, you can look it up, you've seen pictures, it's a uh, it's, uh, it, it causes your extremities to get numb and to kind of be disfigured and disintegrate. It's pretty, pretty gross kind of a thing. Um, but my Bible, the nearly inspired version, calls it infectious skin diseases, which just rolls right off of your tongue, but it's probably more accurate than leprosy. Anyway, that's, that's one of the things I think we need to clear up. Um, first of all, who determined whether someone had such a disease? The priest, right? And what was the process that he goes through? Checks him. Yeah. you Okay. Yeah. You wonder whether or not somebody turned him in or whether he says, oh, I've got this this boo-boo here. I wonder what it is. So he goes to the priest and the priest looks at him. What's he look for? Beg your Pardon? Whiteness. He says, is it white? The big one, the, the, it, it needs to be more than skin deep. And any hair that's in it needs to have turned white. Okay? If that's the case, what's he do? He, well, he sticks him in isolation for seven days. Right? And it comes back in seven days. He says, okay, look, you may have it, you may not. Let's, let's check this out. Come back, come back and see me in seven days. Actually, it's not to come back and see me. The priest has to go see him. But anyway, he goes back and sees him again. And if it uh, hasn't changed or it's gotten worse, well, let's, let's say it hasn't changed. What's he do? So let's, let's, let's give it another seven days. Maybe this will clear up. So he comes back at the end of the second seven days. And uh, if it's worse, I mean, you, you figure you got 14 days into this. It's either going to go away or it's going to get much worse. And if it gets much worse, then he pronounces it leprosy. If it doesn't, he says, well, I guess, I guess you got away with that one. <laughs> does, that, does that pretty much determine what happens? Did you, could you read anything different in there, John?
4: Well, I was just asking about how did you ask the question, how did someone find out about this? Yeah. I would think it would be very easy to tattle tell on someone like that because I'm assuming this is highly contagious. Yeah, and if you don't quarantine them, everybody's going to get it quickly.
1: Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, that's certainly from the uh, you know from our modern uh, health point of view. That's what happens. Another thing that I need to bring up now, and we're going to get there as we go through Leviticus, is that leprosy was often. Um, seen as God's judgment for um Hara, which is evil tongue. It was it was often, and we can we'll we'll find many places as we go through the rest of the Torah where somebody gets uh uh is struck with leprosy and it's invariably it's because they were uh speaking ill of other people or spreading gossip. And so that's another reason why the things are gonna be couched the way they are. Pat?
5: Well, my definition in the strong says that it's malignant skin thing. So it wouldn't be just all skin. No. What was your word? Infectious. Infectious. Well, I guess that's malignant.
1: Well, yeah. Uh, any skin disease is somewhat malignant if you ask me. But I mean, if it's a disease, if it's something that it wasn't there before and now it is, that's, you know, you just soon wasn't there. <laughs> John.
4: Uh, I I like your connection with uh, LaShawn Hurrah in the sense that, let's say you're not sure. I mean, that's what this process is. After the first week, if it's still there, you're not sure. Well, if you have any smarts about you, you think, have I done something wrong to put myself in this position? And can I do something about it before the next seven weeks is coming up? Yeah. To, so if that's the symptom, then I need to figure out what the, what the cause is.
1: And if you think that might be the symptom right, or the, the, the cause, cause yeah. the,
4: the, the lashon or the yeah, evil then tongue, can, then I need to go rectify yeah, that. Yeah, I
1: need to straighten that up. Yep, that's a very good point. Now, like I say, at this point in our reading, we don't have any real support for the fact that that's tied to leprosy and lashon hurrah are tied together, but we will. You know, we'll, we'll know about it as we move farther along. Big pardon. Miriam's a very good example. Um, where have we run into leprosy once before, though? Moses. Moses. Yeah, when Moses was at the burning bush, you remember, and and I love that story with Moses at the burning bush because, you know, God he God tells him, okay, I want you to go back to Egypt. The pharaoh that that was alive when you were, when you killed that guy, is gone. So when you go back to Egypt, and you can lead my people out of there. And so Moses comes up and he says, what? <laughs> he comes up with six reasons why, you know, he's not the right guy for this job. But anyway, at some point, in one of the things he says, what if, you know, what if they don't believe me? And he says, well, okay, you know, throw down your staff, you know, and his staff turned into a snake. And that was a pretty good, pretty good, you know, indication. And he says, okay, now stick your arm, your hand in your cloak and then take it out. And it was, he says, leprous, white as snow was the term right and then he said stick it back in there so he stuck it back in there and it came out and it was all nice and clean and, and nice looking so that's the first place that we've run into leprosy john
4: well i mentioned uh miriam and she was afflicted for seven days yep so maybe in that seven days she figured out what the problem was
1: <laughs> yeah i think i think but she also in, in the new so testament yeah matthew 8 2 through 4 okay Can I read that? Yeah, why don't you? I'll appreciate that.
4: And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Yeshua put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, I will, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Yeshua saith unto him, See thou, tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them.
1: That's, that's exactly what we're going to talk about in the next chapter. Is there any talk about the gift? Yep.
4: Okay, because yep. we had not read
1: that yet. No, we haven't read that yet, but that's, uh, that, I love the way that, you know, when we read that in the New Testament and we don't have any idea what's going on here, uh, this, this gives whole new meaning to what's going on because now we can find exactly what the guy did. He went to the priest, and the priest looked at him and did this, and basically said, okay, you're cured, now do what you need to do, and we're going to get the do what you need to do part here in the next chapter. It's
4: almost like Yeshua's following this Torah thing. Oh, almost, yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay, so let's see what else we need to say about any of that. So the priest had the responsibility for determining whether he had it. He didn't, uh, you know, he didn't have anything to do with how he got it or how he's going to get over it or anything like that it's just i i i hereby pronounce you leprous yeah
6: i was just thinking uh we read things like this in the old testament and then we go into the new testament and it's a uh follow through is uh, uh, christ said or Hoshua said that if uh, a man do not murder. But if a man looks at another man, hating his heart, he's already committed adultery. So, uh, Yeshua is adding on what was taught back in the Old Testament.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. All right. Let's see. Um, so anyway, one of two things is going to happen when the priest goes and let's let's assume this was a. Um, the, the long drawn out mode. So he comes back after the second seven day stint and he looks at him and he says, well, heck, it's almost gone. Then he's pronounced clean. Okay? Uh, if he's not, if it, if it looks like it's gotten worse, um, he says, well, well, I'm sorry, dude, you got it. So he pronounces him either cured, either clean or unclean based on whether or not he's got leprosy. Yeah, John.
4: Maybe I'm being weird, but it's almost like you have good credit or you have bad credit. (laughs) I don't know if that's a good
1: analogy or not. Yeah, I'm not going to. I don't want to follow it too far, but let's go on here and read a little bit more. From verse 12 um, through verse 28, 12 through 28. Somebody want to read that? I'll read it. Okay, you can hear my version with the, all the infectious skin disease. Verse 12. If the disease breaks out all over his skin and, so far as the priest can see, it covers all the skin of the infected person from head to foot, the priest is to examine him, and if the disease has covered his whole body, he shall pronounce that person clean. Since it has all turned white, he is clean. But whenever raw flesh appears on him, he will be unclean. When the priest sees the raw flesh, he shall pronounce him unclean. The raw flesh is unclean. He has an infectious disease. Should the raw flesh change and turn white, he must go to the priest and the priest is to examine him. And if the sores have turned white, the priest shall pronounce the infected person clean and then he will be clean. When someone has a boil on his skin and it Heels, and in the place where the boil was, a white swelling or a reddish-white spot appears, he must present himself to the priest. The priest is to examine it, and if it appears to be more than skin deep, and the hair in it has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an infectious skin disease that has broken out where the boil was. But if when the priest examines it, there is no white hair in it, and it is not more than skin deep and has faded... Then the priest is to put him in isolation for seven days. If it is spreading in the skin, the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is infectious. But if the spot is unchanged and has not spread, it is only a scar from the boil, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. I think I'll stop there for a minute. That's, this, this is something. I mean, it's worse than a medical textbook. So verses 12 through 17, what's the deal going on there? John.
4: I was just looking at 13. I don't know if I noticed this before, but if the leprosy hath covered all his flesh, like from head to toe. Yep. Uh, if it's white, then he is clean. Yep. That seems.
1: Well, odd. I, I tried to get my mind around this a little bit, and I don't know. Maybe it's not that it's ever happened to me. But maybe it's some kind of a deal where he had a, uh, a rash or something, and it covered his whole body, and his, as it healed, there was new flesh, you know, and it, and it was white. Um, but it, it, it's got to be the whole body. I mean, he's got he's to check it out, right?
4: Almost like he's born again or something. He's got a whole white, <laughs> light skin,
1: yeah, skin made of white. But the, the, the clincher there, the spoiler... Would be raw flesh. If there's any raw flesh around, then the deal's off. You got it. So it's got to be completely smooth white skin, and evidently that has happened or whatever. I don't know. Maybe that's what happened when Moses stuck his arm in and then pulled it out the second time. It was. It said it was you know clean and nice. So don't know. I I don't. I'm. I can't really tell you. But it, it's basically. Um, if it says when he sees in verse fifteen, it says when he sees raw flesh, he shall pronounce him unclean. The raw flesh is unclean, so that goes back to this, you know, uh, coming before God with bodily fluids oozing. <laughs> no raw flesh. You got to be. You got to be, you know, in good shape.
4: Yeah. Raw flesh means you have no skin. You have no covering. Exactly. Like the fig leaf that uh, that they tried to hide behind. That's a fair or point. God gave them a skin in the mm-hmm. garden, you know. Mm-hmm. Not having that is not good.
1: Yeah. I guess the, the thing the thing is leprosy is a well they, they always describe it as white, but it's a a spotty thing. You know, it's it's a growing infection that covers more or less parts of your body. If it's if your whole body is turned some color, then it may not be that. Because I guess if your whole body turned some color, you ought to be dead by then. I don't know. Anyway. And then the boil, the thing about the boil, if you got a boil and then it heals, but it looks like there's some white swelling or reddish spot, uh, then you better go to the priest and say, what is this? And the priest looks at and says, well, I don't know, could be leprosy. And he puts you, in a, puts you uh, aside for seven days, and then you go back. And uh, if it's been spreading, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is infectious. But if the spot is unchanged and has not spread, it's only a scar from the boil. So this detail of the Bible sometimes blows you away, doesn't it? Any other thoughts on that? We get some more fun ones here as we're moving along. I want to finish this. Okay, someone want to read from verse twenty-four. I don't know, 24 to 29, that's not, five verses. Somebody want to read five verses? I think you guys are happy if I read it. Oh, Joel read it. Say 24 29? 24
6: to 28.
1: 28. Through 28.
6: Or if there any flesh in the skin thereof, there is a hot burning. And the quick place that burneth has a white bright spot, somewhat reddish or white. Then the priest shall look upon it. And behold, if the hair in the bright spot be turned white, and it be in slight deeper than the skin, it is leprosy broken out of the burning. Therefore the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is the plague of leprosy. But if the priest looks on it, and behold, there is no white hair, the bright spot, and it be no lower than the other skin, but be somewhat dark, then the priest shall shut him up for seven days, and the priest will look upon him the seventh day. And if it is spread, and if it is be spread much abroad in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean it is the plague of leprosy and if the bright spot stays in its place and spreads not in the skin but it is somewhat dark it is a rising of the burning and the priest shall pronounce him clean for it for it is an inflammation of the burning
1: Okay. Okay, that whole thing you just read was about if you get a burn. Now, if you get a burn, according to this, you could catch leprosy. I mean, and given that we're not, it's not really leprosy, given it's some kind of infectious skin disease, the point is, is if you have a burn, you could get a skin infection. And that's what this is for. It says, uh, when someone has a burn on their skin and a reddish, white, or white spot appears in the raw flesh of the burn, the priest is to examine it. So it's the same kind of thing. And basically, he... Uh, if, um, if after seven days, it looks like it's healing and it's not spreading, then he says, okay, you're clean. But if it looks like it's some infection has gotten in there and it's spreading, he says, well, you got it. So now we've got burns. Um, I'll read some more here because I, I kind of want to get through this. Starting in verse 29. If a man or woman has a sore on the head or on the chin... The priest is to examine the sore, and if it appears to be more than skin deep, and the hair in it is yellow and thin, the priest shall pronounce that person unclean. It is an itch, an infectious disease of the head or the chin. But if, when the priest examines this kind of sore, it does not seem—but uh, if, when the priest examines this kind of sore, it does not seem to be more than skin deep, and there is no black hair in it. Then the priest is to put the infected person in isolation for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest is to examine the sore. And if the itch has not spread and there is no yellow hair in it, and it does not appear to be more than skin deep, then he must be shaved except for the diseased area. And the priest is to keep him in isolation another seven days. On the seventh day, the priest is to examine the itch. And if it has not spread in the skin and appears to be no more than skin deep, The priest shall pronounce him clean. He must wash his clothes and he will be clean. But if the itch does spread in the skin after he has been pronounced. (coughs) Let me read that. I didn't read that right. But if the itch does spread in the skin after he is pronounced clean, the priest is to examine him and the itch has spread in the skin. (coughs) The priest does not need to look for yellow hair. The person is unclean. If, however, in his judgment it is unchanged and black hair has grown in it, the itch is healed and he is clean and the priest shall pronounce him clean. That, At about this point in this chapter, I've, you know, kind of up to here with the whole thing, but as near as I can tell, that's uh, uh, another subset of some kind of a skin disease and the priest gets to declare him clean or unclean. Let me go a little bit more. I want to get to Verse, I'm going to read through to verse 46. When a man or a woman has white spots on the skin, the priest is to examine them. And if the spots are dull white, it is a harmless rash that is broken out on the skin. That person is clean. When a man has lost his hair and is bald, he is clean. Dave appreciates that. If he has lost his hair from the front of his scalp and has a bald forehead, he is clean. But if he has a reddish-white sore on his bald head or forehead, it is an infectious disease breaking out on his head or forehead. The priest is to examine him, and if the swollen sore on his head or forehead is reddish-white, like an infectious skin disease, the man is diseased and is unclean. The priest shall pronounce him unclean because of the sore on his head. So this whole big, huge chapter has been about various different kinds of skin diseases. And it culminates in this, chapter 40, or verse 45. When the person with such an infectious disease, I'm sorry, the person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes and let his hair be unkempt. Cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. And as long as he has the infection, he remains unclean and he must live alone and he must live outside the camp. So, It was not a very pleasant thing to have the priest declare you unclean due to infectious skin disease. John.
4: So, well, let me, I was looking at a hafta on my notes here. Um, So this word that we're using for leprosy in Hebrew is
1: tzaharot. Tzaharot. There's a, There's a the A hyphen. Rish,
4: right. Tsa right? Mm-hmm. Um. The word tzora, tzora singular form of tzaat, is the contraction of tozi uh toziara, one who spreads slander. Ah. This is according to Arakin 15b.
1: That must be okay, good.
4: Uh was a rot was a physical manifestation of a spiritual problem, a disciplinary punishment. a disciplinary punishment. Until the slanderer leaned, learned to overcome slandering, he is acquainted he is quarantined from a society from society having to shout out unclean. Yeah. So that's kind of that's an interesting connection.
1: Yeah, I remember there's a What? Right. What well there was this vivid scene, in, and I think it was Ben-Hur or something, where they, yeah, you know, that's where you get these leper colonies. A lot of times if someone has, has been pronounced leprous, they live together in some, some outside the camp. They got to live outside the camp. They can't work for a living, and they live off of what other people give them, you know. And they run around looking disheveled and, you know, covering their lower part of their face and say, unclean, unclean. And now this is, let's see, this is what you would want to have happen to, some, you know, to someone that has an infectious skin disease because you don't want it, you know. But, man, it's a real hardship, you know. Um, notice, however, that there's nothing in here that says, well, we'll get to this. They can come back. If they get cured, they can come back. But while they're in this state, while the priest has declared them unclean, they have to live outside the camp in the state that it talks about. Joe.
6: Was uh, leprosy a primary uh, Middle Eastern disease? or Do uh, nope. uh, the, the, other countries have it somewhat? Yep. Oh, same yeah, thing.
1: absolutely. It's, uh, Hansen's disease, like I say, is worldwide. As a matter of fact, if you know anything about the Hawaiian Islands, one of the Hawaiian Islands is called Molokai. And Molokai, the entire island was set aside for people with leprosy, and they stuck the whole everybody. Have you ever got? Then this was back, you know, uh, early 1900s or before, where they didn't the state of the art of knowing what this stuff was wasn't very good. So if they had a skin disease that was chronic, wouldn't go away, and was you know basically uh, just eating them up, stick them in Molokai. And there's been leper colonies all over the all over the world. All over the world. Any other thoughts? This, you guys are great for putting up with this. I, this is hard. Leviticus is a hard book. Uh, I think there's things to learn from it, but it's, every time it's, it's challenging for me. Because um, the, the thing that makes this all kind of hold together, though, is this tie with Lashon Hara. You know, the, the, the tie with speaking evil of one another's slander. Any final thoughts? I feel like I've, I've dominated the conversation too much tonight, but next week I'll do better. I'll pray. Father God, thank you very much for the evening. Thank you for the challenges of your word. Uh, just help us to think on these things during the week and get some insight. I know that all of these things tie together, and they all serve to give us a better picture of who you are, a better picture of how you'd like us to behave, And I just thank that you take take so much care and trouble with us, and you're so patient, Father God. Just watch over each of us as we go through the week until we meet together again. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.